Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello and welcome to this week's Charlton Live podcast. My name is Louis Mendes. I hope you're well and you're making the best of this tough situation that we find ourselves in at the moment. Another week with no football, of course, but that's no reason not to have a Charlton Live pod. We'll chat about the latest news at the Valley and, of course, have another stroll down memory lane. So on this week's pod, I'll be joined by Terry Smith, Nathan Muller and Benji Cloak as we discuss the relatively small amount of news that's come out of the club this week. We'll also chat about the release of the Sunderland Till I Die documentary. It just so happens to have a happy ending for us. And with the club streaming the highlights of the hugely successful 2011-2012 League One winning season on the website this afternoon, we decided to share our memories of that superb campaign and listen again to a classic interview with the man that made it happen, Sir Chris Powell. So let's dive straight into this week's chat with the lads. We hope you enjoy it. Charlton Live. Right, so it's uh, that time of the week again. Time for another Charlton Live podcast. Delighted to say uh, on the phone this week. Uh, first of all, let's bring in Benji. Benji, how you doing? Yeah, all good, thank you, Louis. Yeah, how are you, how are you finding the lockdown? Uh, yeah, I'm still able to do little bits of work, so not too bad out of normality, but... Yeah, badly missing the football, especially on a nice day like today. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I wish I could be outside just watching any game of football. Um, uh, who else have we got? We've got Terry. Terry, haven't heard from Tell in a while. How are you getting on, Tell? Yeah, I'm fine, thanks, uh, Louis. Hope everybody's uh, surviving the, uh, the, the, the craziness we are in at the minute. Yeah, how are you finding it? Because obviously you must be in one of those groups where you're not allowed to leave the house at all, I'm guessing, with your age. <laughs> Which you will exactly, and, and most people have been avoiding me uh, at least two metres for most of my life, so I've had quite <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly, yeah, no different for you, and uh, of course we, we can't have a Charlton Live pod without Nathan, how you doing Nathan? Living the dream! Yeah, how are the, how the trees, have they changed the tour in the last couple of weeks? or couple of leaves, you know it is mate, couple of leaves, hmm. been talking to a couple of them. Yeah, we've uh, had some excitement, We've one of our, our tree and our garden started blossoming now, so... Not seen that before, yeah. So that's. I'll I'll send you. I'll send you a photo later on, actually, for your for your collection. What what, what, of the tree or? Yeah. Wait, if if you've got any requests, let me know. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, good to have you on. Right, I mean, uh, obviously, lads, it's been a a fairly quiet week on the Charlton front. Maybe I think the only thing we've seen of any interest was a a statement on the club website that came from Tanun Namir. From Claudio Florica and from Marian Mihail. Um, I'll just read out a, a quick bit of that. And so they say they appreciate it's a difficult time uh, with the COVID 19 crisis that has changed the world for everybody. Uh, for Charlton fans, there's also been uncertainty around the future of the club with a lot in the press and posted on social media. Uh, well, yeah, Tanun can talk on that from Carney. Uh, it says, going forward, the board of directors will look to keep you as up to date as we can. Uh, throughout uh, through the club's official media channels, which is probably a good thing. Uh, we must begin by reiterating that our commitment is to Charlton 
The club is not for sale, uh, and the majority shareholder is Excellency Tanun Lamir is not looking for a buyer. So obviously uh, refuting that story that was in the Evening Standard uh, last week. Uh, these are tough times for any professional club, and we are 100% focused on seeing Charlton through this difficult period. This will require investment, and the first instalment of that investment will come in April. The club has submitted documents to the EFL uh, for approval uh, to demonstrate the source and sufficiency of funds. Um, the club has also submitted documentation for the new directors, um, Claudio and Marian, uh, for the owners and directors test. The EFL remain supportive and have informed us of what remains outstanding. The club will remain in contact with the EFL uh, with the aim of providing the necessary information as is required by the league as soon as possible uh, so we can successfully conclude matters. We will get everything sorted and football will return, but until then, uh, we wish all Charlton players, staff, fans and their families uh, the very best in their trying time. So that was a statement that uh, Tanun, on behalf of the club, I guess you could say, put out on, was it Monday, Tuesday? Um, Terry, I'll bring you in first. What what are your initial reactions to that? I guess because we've heard, we've had a few statements now over the course of the last month or so. um, And, and I've been saying this every week now, it's now more about action than statements in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in isolation, it's a, it's a nice enough statement. It uh, it tries to calm our uh, our fears, and so if it was the only one we'd had, you'd probably think, oh, okay, yeah, we can live with that. That's uh, that's a nice uh, nice soundbite from the club. But sadly, it's not in isolation, is it? <laughs> we've had uh, we've had months of uh, of um, stuff going on backwards and forwards between various parties, including the club. And um, yeah, you're right. I mean, what we need now is uh, is for something to happen positively from I guess from the EFL to say, yeah, everything's tickety boo. Till that. Yeah, I mean, how how confident are you are you feeling about this? I've asked a lot of the other guys on the pod over this over the course of the last few weeks. I mean, what is your your gut feeling now? Or is it? Do you feel, do you feel it's still too early to say? I mean, do you think time's probably running out for these guys to come and prove themselves now? Yeah, I don't think I should go on my gut feeling. I've been eating and drinking far too much nonsense in lockdown <laughs> for the last couple of weeks, so it's probably not not right to go by my gut. But um, I don't know. I, I, I think um, the, the heart still wants uh, it just to be about the source. I mean, I think that's what everybody's saying. It's the source of funding. Um, I don't think there are too many question marks, although people still have that there's money there. Uh, how much is an issue but um, it's the fact that where, it, where it's come from and the EFL have got one of these tests that say unless you can prove where it's come from and it hasn't come from ill-gotten gains uh, and bearing in mind that um, you know one of the board members that uh, we've just put on the board is, uh, has got a, a payback 10 million quid for, for, for things he didn't do quite right some, uh, some years ago mm. Doesn't bode well, does it? Really? Um, mm. So that, you know, that's one side of things. The other side uh, is is this the suspicion that I mean, anybody who's as old as me will remember the um, Nigerian tyre com- uh, rubber company, <laughs> and it smacks of is uh, a little bit it smacks of that. You know, that there's promises, but no, nobody's entirely sure that it's uh, it's legit. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, yeah, it's hard to tell at this moment in time, isn't it? Benji, I'll bring you in. Um, what was your gut feeling? Obviously, it was that. Was it three weeks ago now since we had that that show in my kitchen where you know that was the end of the, the first week of this absolute nonsense and it's still dragging on? I mean, I, I'm guessing at that point we were saying we'd hope to start to have some sort of clarity within the next couple of weeks, but it's still it's still sort of hanging over us this this issue, isn't it? Yeah, I mean it's it's good we've got no games happening at the moment because I'm I'm sure the off the field struggles that we're that we're seeing at the moment. Uh, would would make their way onto the field in the way that I don't know if the protests would step up because 
it is looking worrying that we've still not come to a resolution. Tanun is still promising that he will put this money in, but we're still waiting. So, um, I don't know. I, I think the other week I was hoping that the directors, the ex-directors would uh, step up with their case and they're trying to force through um, that this uh, takeover doesn't happen. Um, and... Uh, believe it or not, would be back in the hands of Roland. Um, and I still think I'm behind that, really, because it just seems like all words from Tanoon, um, maybe a power battle to say, look, I've got back the club website now, I'm going to start posting on there. At least it's been a quiet week in regards to um, to social media from Southall and Tanoon that we haven't seen any of that because it was getting a bit silly. Um, so hopefully everything's happening in the background that we can just get to finally get to a resolution of mm. what's going to happen. And obviously he talks about putting money into the club in April. So obviously we're, we're into April now because that's clearly something that happen, has to happen quite soon because it, it, it's quite obvious that the money's going to run out, especially with the lack of games being played, Ben. So, I mean, as he, ne- he needs to come through with that sooner rather than later. Otherwise, we could be in big trouble. Yeah, I mean, it's up in the air as to when the the games will start again. Um, So he's got that kind of time on his side. But yeah, I mean, us as supporters, we're just looking for that um, that confirmation that we're going to be all right as a football club. Uh, And of course, there might be clauses in the contracts of the players that, look, if they haven't got paid in so many... Uh, months and they could just walk off and our, our club could be falling apart we just as, as was said on the show last week uh, these guys need to stop their own little personal battles and just focus on the main thing of providing these funds to secure our football club nothing else matters uh, in regards to them mouthing off to each other it just really needs to focus on uh, securing the club's future mm. Nathan um, I mean, obviously, it has been a slightly quieter week, as, as Ben mentioned there, in terms of the the social media uh, handbags, which is which is probably a, a good thing. Um, but I mean, are you feeling any more confident that this this is going to sort itself out? Um, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I don't really know, mate. To be honest, there's so much stuff going on at the moment. I feel like um, what's the word? I've just not really thought about it. To be honest, I mean, <laughs> the last the last week or so, I've Obviously, with stuff with you know with, with Sebo and that was with last week, or, and then um, and obviously since the Sutherland documentaries come out, now it sort of kicked sort, sort of the interest in Charlton again for me anyway. I mean, because I, I said last week it started getting a bit boring with the mudslinging and and all that, and I sort of switched off from it all really. And I was just like, you know, well, let's just crack on and get on with it, sitting up, you know, getting this isolation business out of the way. And then, you know, hopefully the games will come soon. But, I mean, gut feeling, I mean, the proof's going to be in the pudding, isn't it, really? It's, it's, you know, he's, he's got to put the money in. He's saying he's going to. So, like everything at the moment, we've just got to sit and wait, haven't we? Mm-hmm. So, I don't really know what else I can mm-hmm. what else I can say, you know, as well as what the other fellas have said. But, I mean, yeah, I was... It's going to be one of those where hopefully he does. And then when the game's game starting again, if he puts it in, we can sort of... Fund, fund ourselves like like Benji and Terry said you know there's no money coming through in the gates nothing coming coming through into the club nothing commercially so he's going to have to put his, put in his hand in his pocket rather at some point yeah I mean obviously it's not it's not great that obviously the EFL are a bit of a closed book on this sort of thing they, they, 
they, they play their cards close to their chest. So you can understand why, perhaps, from, from their own point of view, they're not going to give too much away when it comes to uh, revealing where they are at any stage in, in a process that, that, that they have to go through. But it, it does sort of mean we're sort of sitting here in the dark waiting to find out. You know, we don't know if the EFL have got issues with the documentation they have now supposedly been provided. Um, you are sort of just waiting for news now, sitting patiently. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't really know the the whole structure of the AFL, but obviously, in light of recent events, I think that obviously their attention has been geared towards um, obviously liaising with the Premier League and that sort of stuff to try and get some sort of uniformed stand on the situation at the moment. And if, if, it doesn't surprise me that you are, you know, our situation um, with Tanoon and that may have taken back taken a backseat. I don't know, but. Um, yeah, I don't think they you can, they can be too transparent about it because there are certain things that you know that need to remain private, especially with funds and stuff and people's personal details. But I mean, um, it's hard because obviously everyone wants to sort of know what's going on. But if nothing's actually changed from what we know, then there's there's no announcement to be made until there is something that's done. So um, we can only go by what you know the statement said that they've submitted the details to the EFL and the EFL have told them what's still outstanding. Um, so we just have to wait, mm. wait now, and, and sit and see when we've got the AOK, shall we say? Yeah, and Terry. I guess one other point that was interesting in in, in that statement was was the denial that um, the, the the club was going to be put out for sale. Because obviously, we talked about this on last week's pod. Uh, the Evening Standard had a story that Tanu Namir was looking for between two and four million pounds to move on the club and then obviously whoever took over the club would then have to enter into their own sort of agreement with Roland Duchatelet for the purchase of the valley and the training ground um, which has now since been denied um, obviously uh, in in the current climate I imagine there's not too many people looking to go and spend a load of money on a, a business that literally is getting no money in and, and, and is hemorrhaging money at the moment um, do, do you read too much into into that comment? I mean, obviously, if you are looking to sell the club, you pay it close to your chest a little bit. Well, that as well. But I mean, uh, I mean you'd have to be slightly um, on the left side of weird to uh, to buy uh, buy a club for four million that only got sold for a pound, uh, <laughs> and that you and that and, that, uh, and you didn't actually own anything uh, within it. So that's one thing. But secondly, I mean, you, you just get the feeling with all the other stuff that's been going on, it's just been a, a, a fed by you know from a certain area that sort of story. In the same way as we were ground sharing with Palace and moving to the peninsula and all this sort of stuff, it, it's the sort of thing that um, it, you just don't trust anymore put it that way because you, you don't know where the sources come from and uh, currently there are so many different sources with uh, with different agendas you just uh, I, I tend to ignore them to be honest just ignore all of them until we get uh, you know it's, it's sadly we're in a position where we'll only know when we know it's not a question of uh, guesswork anymore because there's so much stuff out there it's um, it's only gonna we're only gonna really know when it materializes mm, excellent stuff right so look, I think we've drawn a line pretty much under the, the very little that's gone on this week in terms of uh, the, the battle for power at the Valley. But there is some other stuff I wanted to bring up now. Um, anyone who, like me, is currently just sitting at home with nothing to do, um, they, they, they would have... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they would have been delighted to see um, the, the release on Netflix of the Sunderland uh, Until I Die documentary, Benji. I don't know if you've had a chance to watch it, but it's fascinating, really. I'm obviously... I, I, I did watch the entire series because it is quite interesting to see how the the day-to-day running of a football club goes on behind the scenes, um, one that isn't ours and therefore could be described as ever so slightly more normal, although they still had uh, their, their issues. But obviously the, the, the thing we were waiting for was seeing 
uh, that that day at Wembley all over again. But it is bizarre. I don't know if you've watched it yet, Ben, but it's absolutely bizarre to see it from another point of view. Because obviously, I mean, I was crying at, at Wembley, tears of joy. But to see some of those fans with genuine tears of sadness in their eyes, it, it was quite um, quite interesting to get a different view of it. It's, it's a view that perhaps, Ben, that we hadn't really had to think about before. Yeah, I haven't got around to watching it yet. I, um, I've got a few other things I'm watching on Netflix, so I was trying to build up the excitement uh, until I watched it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I must say, watching it from a different perspective will be will be quite good. I've seen a couple of their YouTube videos uh, from a couple of their fans that they put on. And uh, yes, I mean, the whole moment for me was just so surreal. It didn't seem quite Charlton-like, because uh, I was just waiting for extra time to happen and uh, to win it how we did and then it just to be over was quite extraordinary but I must say I think their fans were the best losers I've ever come across like where I was sat at Wembley I was on the halfway line so I was like quite close to the um, segregation between them and their fans and uh, I had quite a lot of them during the game obviously when when they went 1-0 up they were giving it to us when it went 1-1 we was like and then when we won it obviously limbs everywhere everyone going crazy tears down my eyes everyone going mad and um yeah full time looked over to them and nearly all of them come over thumbs up shaking our hands and um yeah and you were with me in the pub afterwards we was having a sing song with them they were all in good spirits and to come all that way down for Sunderland for a second time down to Wembley that that season (laughs) um as the I know the documentary depicts that um and to lose it like that, I mean, if that was me, I would have been yeah. straight out of the stadium. So, fair play to them. They are great fans. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, isn't it, Terry? Like, the way that we've sort of built up this rapport with, with Sunderland as a club, uh, you know, going back to, to what happened in 1998. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure I'm, sh- I'm sure they'd rather be have the chance to prove that they're gracious winners. But they have proven... <laughs> twice now over the years that they they that they can take losing on the chin in in in, in the right spirit i guess yeah you do wonder and, and i haven't seen the, the whole documentary i've dipped in and out a couple of the episodes uh, so i've seen a bit where they were talking about uh, pre-match music or, or walkout music <laughs> which was uh, which was surreal and then watch the um just the, <clears throat> the reaction of the fans uh, while the game was going on for bowers goal so that, they're the only bits i've seen but yeah you're right i mean we had uh, we had a decent um, reaction from them back in 98 and uh, I didn't come across too many Sunderland fans this time around so uh, I don't know what, what they were like this time around but you just get the feeling when uh, when they knew it was, they were playing us their hearts must have hit their boots I mean I haven't seen it all whether or not there was any uh, any pre-match predictions but they must have thought oh why do you, hold? you know, yeah. fancy doing that for us again so that, I think maybe that um, that might have stood us in good stead in the game yeah. well it's funny enough actually one of the, the the kit man at Sunderland is the same kit man that's been there ever since 1998 and, he, and there was a clip of him sort of saying um, he not not saying that he felt it was a good omen, but he just felt like it that they would get us, and 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 he hoped they they'd get us. So they obviously, um, uh, yeah, he obviously he was sort of um, uh, slightly upset by the end of it. Nathan, again, I don't know if, if you if you've had a chance to see any of it yet, but it it, it, it even seeing it from that different perspective, it, I I could watch anything to do with that day over and over and over again. So it was nice. It was something that a lot of us have been looking forward to. Yeah, no, I haven't had a chance yet. Um, I'm off. Uh, I'm off work for three weeks. Start from the 14th, so I'm probably going to save it till then. 
because what I'm trying to do at the moment is try not to do everything straight away because then I'm just going to run out of things to do. So I'm just <laughs> I'm holding off at the moment. But um, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Obviously, uh, the last bit. But even even if even if we weren't on going to be at the end of it, I think the first season was really good. I think it was a really good insight. I think the Leeds one as well was good. I think it gives a good little insight of um, of our clubs run and how things how you've got the different characters and stuff. Um, and just going back on what Benji said, I mean, obviously the fans there are absolutely unreal. Obviously, we got we speak to Roker Report a lot, who do the similar sort of thing. Um, I speak to Graham quite a lot, who does a similar sort of thing for up there, and they're just nice people, you know. Every time we went up there and stayed up there, went out, they're just nice, nice people, and really, really just football fans, you know. What I mean, really work class football fans and. Uh, although we're going to be successful in the end, you know they are a nice club, and mm. it's a shame that they they're not they're not you know they it didn't end as nice as it could have. But you know, well we were there, so I don't mm. really care. Um, but yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be, it'll be a good little watch. Um, a lot of people have said it's good. I've seen some bits on Twitter. Um, but yeah, no, I'm looking forward yeah. to it. Yeah, so there is some interesting bits on it. And one, one, one really fascinating bit was sort of transfer deadline day in January, where of course they, they, we all know they go on to end up signing Will Grigg from Wigan for an extortionate fee. Um, and it's quite obvious actually what's revealed that Jack Ross, the, the manager at the time, he wasn't. He sort of said on the phone to Stuart Donald or to, to whoever, saying, you know, don't break the bank. It's really not worth it. And Don, and Stuart Donald's there making. Make, making his mind up and thinking, no, we won't. And then at the end, absolutely falls for Wigan's games and end up paying a lot more money. So it's quite interesting to see how that sort of stuff goes on behind the scenes and, you know, the egos in, in place in, in a football club and how they sort of bounce off each other and how, um, you know, a football manager might might try and make a decision, but then someone who's above him might then try and try and make a, a decision on his behalf and, and maybe go on and, and make the wrong one. So it's interesting. It's also interesting... Uh, the Roker Report, they do show a bit where, where the owner and the CEO went on a um, an episode of their podcast and it's quite clear, I think, that the Roker Report knew deep down that it wasn't Jack Ross's choice to spend that amount of money and they're trying to force force um, the, the chairman and, and the owner to admit that. So it's, it's fascinating to watch how these things are at play, Ben, in, in football clubs and, and to get a real insight into how things go behind the scenes. And I guess, I mean, everyone's been saying it for, for weeks now, you just wish that Amazon or, or, or Netflix had picked us for, for their one because some of the behind-the-scenes conversations over the course of the last five or six years would have been a sight to behold if there was a camera in there recording it all for us. Yeah, as you said, it's, it is extraordinary. I remember in the first series, it was quite interesting to see uh, Johnny Williams was the star of the show then. And uh, we saw he had quite a battle with his mental health because uh, he'd been having some bad injuries. Uh, but yeah, I must say the most enjoyable part of it is how managers uh, work through transfer deadline day uh, and the lead up to that. Because obviously Sky Sports uh, hype up so much. I think it was Simon Grayson was their manager before and I think he was getting quite desperate to sign someone. Um but yeah, it's interesting you say that their manager wasn't wasn't behind that deal, and it was more uh, the owner. Um, I mean, we as fans, we uh, signed Josh Parker, and we were watching Sunderland sign Will Grigg, spending big money, and we were like, "Oh no, look, they're gonna sign all these players, and we're just signing uh, Josh Parker on a free." We were we were worrying, but at the end of the day, it turned out as it did, and um, maybe. 
Bowie I had more of a say at the club, more as maybe Jack Ross did at Sunderland. I know we didn't have the money as much as they did, but um, yeah, well, it turned out well in the end for us. So maybe Jack Ross looks at that kind of thing and maybe there's too much pressure on Greg's shoulders. Mm, excellent stuff. So yeah, I definitely recommend the Sunderland uh, Till I Die documentary for anyone who hasn't seen it. I actually signed up to Netflix uh, specifically just to watch that but it's uh yes yeah, it was it was certainly worth it now um obviously we're still sat in indoors uh very little chance to get out and about and uh, uh it, it does make you bored to, <laughs> uh one way of putting it i found myself making a full uh working model of the championship league table on excel that you can put your own scores into uh, and and you can even do a, a points deduction. So I gave Millwall an 80-point deduction and that put him bottom of the table. But that was just to keep myself entertained. But it, if uh, anyone who, who was aware of what the fixture list would have been uh, if we did play today, we're actually due to play Millwall today, Terry. So in a way, we sort of dodged a bullet there. Yeah, the unbeaten run goes on. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, I mean, some, uh, some great things uh, on, on Twitter and uh, the Charlton Life Forum about uh, what we would normally be doing around about now. We'd be uh, we'd be training our sorrows because uh, obviously we haven't kicked off yet, but we know what's going to happen. <laughs> uh, and then uh, uh, some people saying, yeah, but uh, I've got a new ritual now instead of uh, going to watch Mule on doing this. Uh, and then only for somebody to come up and say, I think I, I didn't see who the contributor was, but say, yeah, but uh, then you've got to stay indoors for 30 minutes and let your Mule family, the next door, go past you. All this sort of stuff. So uh, it's keeping it just Twitter's kept me entertained I've got to be honest yeah. and, uh, uh, and the wife's family jobs to do so um, that, I can't wait for football to go back <laughs> yeah it's going to be weird isn't it Nath when, when the football does finally return um, because you know obviously we were we were on a bit of a poor run just before the uh, uh, the, the, the games were ceased as it were but I mean, even if we lose our next few games 5-0, I think I'll just be glad just to be out of the house and just to get back into some form of routine. Yeah, I think that... I mean, when we were talking about it the first time, we'd done the, um, done the isolated pod, if, you, if that's what you want to call it. Um, I think it's just the social element as well for me, you know. It's just go around and, you know, I might bump into Benji up at, you know, up at the Swan. Well, it's closed now, so that won't be happening anyway. Um <laughs> seeing Terry just getting his pass or whatever outside the ground so I mean it's just little things like that really that you you, you probably take for granted a lot of people did, probably didn't realise um, and yes I mean I'm the same as you mate I mean I can't wait for it to start going again don't know when that'll be um, and I just think it'll be, it'll be interesting how it pans out because it's more or less like people having like, at the end of the season they're going to have a pre-season you know I mean mm. they can't, I assume they can't train are people are people still training and not doing what they should you know should be doing are they going to have an advantage I mean it's going to be interesting um, mm. I mean I'm going to try and find out see if what sort of things they've been doing um, and what they've been given on their time off just to be nosy really because it is quite interesting yeah. surely they're not seeing I'm yeah. in their pants playing FIFA yeah. surely they're uh, yeah. you know they're doing something productive yeah well that's not what I'm doing well, I've done the Joe Wicks stuff actually I don't know if anyone's seen the, the Joe Wicks YouTube workouts it's basically what you do is you, you get into your shorts uh, you, you set your laptop up and then you spend 20 minutes calling someone you don't know an absolute dickhead through a screen and they can't hear you. But you're on the ground going, Joe, you're a dickhead. You're basically out of breath. It's horrible. Uh, but, I mean, sort of continuing the point you're making there, Nath, in terms of, like, hit, like, because obviously, yeah, you will assume there have to be some form of pre-season. But I guess, does that mean that form will very much go out the window again? Um, and also, we, we don't know how the game will restart. We don't know what it will be in terms of players because contracts will still be a, 
a question that will need to be answered as and when they they can. But I mean, do do you think the fact that we're on a, a, a three game losing run will, will that have any effect? Because by the time we come back into it, most people have forgotten what our last game is. Yeah, I, I don't think it will make a bright bit of, bit of difference at all. I think in football, momentum is a massive thing, um, and I think when you're playing those games, and you know we was going to go up to Hull, you know you are on a three game losing streak. I know we, we've got a tight squad, and you know Bose knows what we can do, but mentally you're still knowing that you're on a three game losing streak. Um, if it comes about, I don't know, let's say June for the sake of argument, it's like I said, it feels like it's the first game of the season. It's going to be weird and everyone's going to be fresh. Everyone's going to be chomping it a bit to get on and then try and get those three points. And I think it's probably, in, in it, for people down at, um, at our sort of place, it's like in the relegation zone, you're going to be buzzing to keep going now. Um, I think the people that may struggle is the people that were doing really well is to keep that intensity up. Um, so we can't get any worse, surely, than our <laughs> run. So I think I think it'll be a good thing. And well, and like I say, you know, time will tell. Mm. But um, I think it'll be just have a break, you know, a few weeks off, relax, spend time with your family, come back, and let's go again. And I think it'll be I think it'll be alright. Mm. Right, let's bring this first part of the pod then to a close. Uh, when we come back, we're going to be delving into a bit of nostalgia, uh, as we have been doing uh, on these isolation-busting pods over the last few weeks. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA-approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. Or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Trying to take his man on. Chip ball back across. Bowers there. Pierces there. Bowers with a header. And it's John. Yes! 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 Oh, he's got now we promised you a walk down memory lane and this week it felt appropriate to share our recollections of the unforgettable 2011-2012 league one campaign Under the stewardship of the popular Chris Powell, Charlton stormed the division with a record-breaking 101 points to finally clinch promotion back to the championship at the third attempt. So we'll talk about our memories of that season during the second half of this week's pod, and we've also delved into our archives to bring you a rerun of an interview that the club's former head of comms, Matt Wright, did with Powley a few years back for The Voice of the Valley. The former England international looks back at his first full season in management with real pride. Oh, 
pride and achievement for myself. Well, not only myself, but you know, all the staff and the, the players, and especially the supporters, because we we, we achieved uh, something that uh, I was told, and you can maybe tell me this, but only there's only three other managers, apart from myself, has won something, John. So, you know, that that in itself is something that will stick with me forever, a big part of the club's history forever. And it's just the way we've done it. Looking back, uh, I think you, you're so immersed in it, week in, week out, day mm. in, day out, that you kind of don't always look at and recognise exactly how well we did as as a football club. You know, we had to. We it was a rebuilding job on and off, and I mean off in capital letters. I mean, looking back, and you know, I can always tell you the statistics. Most of them, anyway. You know, thirty wins, eleven draws, five losses. I can I can rally off to you. Fifteen home wins, fifteen away wins. You know, and and if you really press me, I think I could tell you all the scores, all the scores virtually, because. It's just a, it was just something that, you know, we hoped for and we planned for, perhaps, but actually executing it is a different matter. And those players, each and every one of them did that, you know, and there were, there were times, uh, where I suppose people doubted us a little bit, but we were top from September the 17th. And we never left it until the end of the season. Jolton Live. So we'll hear clips of the Powerly interview, but first of all, let's hear myself, Ben, Nathan and Terry share our memories of that superb campaign. This was, um, uh, I think it was pretty much uh, one, one of the first seasons uh, you and I started going to games together, actually, Ben. If I remember rightly, I met you at Walsall away just before Christmas, a game that we ended up drawing uh, one all. But, I mean, th- this was one of those seasons where... I mean, it was just what the first feel-good year we've had in a long, long time. Obviously, we were on a real downward spiral, the relegation from the Premier League and then the relegation into League One a couple of years later. And we got into the, the playoffs under Parkey, but then we stagnated the next season. Powley came in. We, we had a horrendous second half of that year, finishing 13th, I think it was, in League One. Uh, but there was this, this massive clear-out in the summer, this massive rebuilding uh, mission that went on. And then we just went on this this superb season where we, we hit the top of the table early on and then we never looked back and so many good memories were made that year, Ben. Yeah, yeah, as you said, probably the best memory was me and you. That was uh, <laughs> very memorable. In the Wolf, was it a Walsall? Uh, in the Saddlers Club. In the Saddlers Club, that was it, yeah. Um, but yeah, as you said, like Pal done a phenomenal job with signing all those players and, and making it work. I mean... Uh, I remember at the time, so many uh, pundits and journalists were saying, well, look how many players Jolton are signing. That's not going to work. Um, but I remember, I think it was a January before, uh, as you said, but then when our, our season petered out, uh, I think Powell joined in that January, and he signed Bradley Wright Phillips. And uh, as, as we know with last season, having Lyle Taylor... Um, having that goal scorer in, in Wright Phillips was, was a key signing for me um, and I know he started to score a few goals but obviously we, we petered away that season um, but yeah I think that was the first major signing and then we came into the summer and just look at some of those signings that then went on to be Premier League footballers like Dale Stevens, um, Jan, uh, 
just some of those, the core part of that team, um, Danny Hollands, Michael Morrison. Uh, yeah, I mean, how Powerly did that, signing all those players and, and making it work was, was quite phenomenal mm. for me. Yeah, I mean, Terry, obviously we, we, we sold um, Carl Jenkinson to Arsenal, which I think just freed up a tiny bit of cash. Uh, for for Powell to go onto this uh, onto this, well, I call it a spending spree, but it wasn't remotely a spending spree. It was still very much he had to do it on a bit of a budget. Sure, we had probably a quite a good um, wage bill for for League One, I think, at that time. But if you look at the the, the fact he spent very little money, it was a lot of uh, sort of picking up freebies and, and players that he didn't have to pay a lot of money for from uh, League One and and sort of the the cream of the crop. And it showed that Pally really did have a good eye for a, for a player at that time. I think more importantly for me was uh, the style of player he brought in. Uh, it wasn't the fact that I mean he, he almost went back to basics, and he learned from from previous job managers as well, uh, notably Alan Kirbishley. When you know he bought players that um, and brought in players that had something to prove. <clears throat> you know, players that had been almost outcast from their previous clubs. Um, Kermigan's a classic example of that. Just players that that bought into Charlton, bought into what he wanted uh, the club to achieve, and not just achieve for the club, but achieve for themselves. And so, you know, there was that aura back about the club um, that we hadn't had for a little while. So, you know, the whole feel-good factor um, just started from the beginning, really. I mean, even even in the bit where he wasn't that successful when he first came in, it was just there was there was just a belief back that that we didn't have mm. previously. And um, and strangely, I, I sort of first bought into that. I think, um, and I mentioned it off air, where you know, mill all the way in the pre-season friendly. You know, they were a championship club that not long come down from the top division. I think the couple of seasons before that. And so, you know, we were going to the then in the pre our last pre-season, thinking, well, we're going to get tanked here. <laughs> Absolutely, going to get mullered. Uh, and we really put on a show. And uh, of course, it's mill, so they beat us right at the last. Um, mm. I think we're about five or ten minutes to go. But we actually gave them for a, for a large part of the game. We gave them a footballing lesson, and you just thought this side's going to be this side could be good. You know, really could be good. And then when the season started, we went on that run, and we're thinking, yes, actually, you know, we uh, we could do something here. I remember going up to Rochdale away <coughs> and sitting in the stands, and uh, there was this like five or six quite large um, gentlemen sat next to us, uh, shouting Dale for the first five minutes. I thought, oh my goodness, what's happened here? <laughs> sat, I've either sat in the wrong place or they've just come. They, they've just come in once up and it turned out it was Dale Stevens' family <laughs> <laughs> oh, <there you> <laughs> so, and they, were, they were brilliant people absolutely brilliant so they actually called it a Dale not Rochdale um, and uh, and then we got I think well, didn't we lose to Stevenage or something we had, we, and then we, uh, we thought oh hello we're going to have a bit of a wobble here and straight after Stevenage I think we um, we tonked uh, Carlisle we then beat mm. Hartley Paul before we, we were 5-0 up against Preston you know and Suddenly you're thinking, my word, you know, we, you know, we, we could do this, really do this, and there's some sparkling memories of that season, just lots of them. Yeah, I mean that defeat at Stevenage, I remember a very frustrating game, if I remember rightly, a massively yeah. deflected goal from uh, Stacey Long, but that was our thirteenth game of the season, the first that we'd we'd lost Nathan. I mean that that start to that campaign, it really sort of laid down a marker, didn't it? That three 0 win over Bournemouth on the uh, on the opening day included a bit of a weldy. Uh, volley from uh, from Scott Wagstaff, if I remember rightly. Then we went got a couple of away results, not County and and and, and Colchester. We, yeah, we we were we were pretty relentless at the start of that season, Nathan, and it really set us up nicely. Yeah, I think so. I mean, even though um, I remember at the beginning of the season, even it was only the I think it was the second game against not County away. I think it was the second. I think it was Paul Hayes' goal. Um, and I think uh, Jan come just after that I think but I remember even that game we thought 
I was like, hang about it, we could be we could be doing something good here. I know it's only two games in, but you could tell with the players that he brought in, I think the way I look at it is that we were really well balanced. I mean you had leaders in there. I mean Peter, you know, people obviously speak about Morrow, but you've got people like Matt Taylor who is a leader. You know, Jacko got to, what, 12, 13 goals that year. You've got little unhidden gems of, you know, Waggy came coming in and Bradley Pritchard coming in. Um, and like Terry said, you had a lot of players that had a lot, a lot of things to prove. Um, and yeah, I just think we went on that with that crazy run. And But it was the first time watching us play all season. To be honest, I have never had a fear of losing. I really didn't. I thought we were invincible that year. Um, going all the away games, with, which I think that was, a, was that the Rose of Denmark years. I can't remember. If it yeah, was, but, but yeah, I just remember going to games. Oh, we ain't gonna lose today, and, and it just seemed like the players knew that as well. The players didn't think they were gonna lose. Um, so it was a bit of a surreal season, and it was a it's a good season, mm. um, amazing season, really. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, there's plenty of memories from that year. Mm. And we'll, we'll talk about our favourite specific games later on because Pally's asked that that question as well, but. As you mentioned, we did rarely lose. I think we only lost five games that season, which is an incredible for a 46-game season. But when we did lose, we tended to react really well. So after that that Stevenage result, we went on and won the next six in the league. Uh, went and lost at Leighton Orient on New Year's Eve after Hamer got sent off uh, early on. Went and won the next four and didn't lose again until March. Then all of a sudden, we just had this the slightest of little wobbles <laughs> Um, I think we were still we were still like probably seven or eight points clear at this time. But we had we had a home defeat against Colchester, uh, which, which is in March, our first home defeat of the season. Right, okay, these things happen. Then the next game, uh, we're four 0 down at home to Notts County at half time. Uh, all of a sudden, Ben, were, were, were you suddenly thinking, "Oh God, we're, we're going to do a proper Cholton number here. We're going to properly screw this up." Yeah, it did seem like like that was happening. Um... But I think in the, in the team we had a good balance of youth and experience, and uh, we had quite a few experienced characters in there. And I remember I think Andy Hughes uh, came in around that time, around those games, and uh, really really played a good job in the centre of midfield. Um, and I remember didn't a couple games after that we had some random players play. I remember Danny and Guessing. <laughs> um, I think he popped up with a winner. I think it was like a. It was either a quarter or a cross against Late Norian. Yeah, he got one and, against um, Walsall as well, yeah. Yeah, so I guess, again, that was Pally rotating the squad, going, look, you're kind of not doing it for me now. And I think we got in some loans like him. I don't remember, it was Lee Cook there as well, someone like that. Um, but yeah, I remember we just we just relied on different players. And, and after that, we kind of came up with the goods in the end. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a nervous <laughs> time. We were thinking, oh, no, because obviously... In the old Kirkshire years, when we were doing well in the Premiership, it was um, typical Charlton. Come March time, we we fell away, but um, yeah, we managed yeah. to stay there with um, some help on some different kind of players. Yeah, and then towards the end of that season, Terry, after we had that slight wobble, so we lost three and five, including a, a defeat away at Huddersfield, which I remember was quite a frustrating one as well. I think there was a red card in there for was it Hogan Efran or Daryl Russell? In fact, yeah, was it? Yeah. Was sent off, but then, then just towards the end of that season, we just started to grind it out, didn't we? You know, home wins against Leighton Orient and, and Walsall, and uh, we'll talk about the Oldham game later on because that that will go down as my favourite one. But we, we just we just made sure that we got over the line, and that's where um, Powdy really sort of came into his own. Just just made sure that we we got enough points just to just to make sure we got that title at the very end there. Yeah, and I think it comes back to the characters we had on the side. I mean, 
Um, Danny Hollands, of course, who was like an enforcer in that midfield. There were games sometimes that passed him by if it was, you know, if, it, if games were too quick. But generally speaking, Danny Hollands uh, and that thing was quite a tackle, and he wasn't afraid of uh, getting his uh, foot in. And uh, I think he got a red card some some point during the season. I'm pretty sure of it. Um, they were, we just had players that uh, that had a bit of bottle and a bit of character. And, and um, you're right. Whereas at the start of the season, we were banging fours and fives and, and threes and, and really winning comfortably. Towards the end, there they were all well, not all, but quite a few. Of them are one nils, two nils, two ones. They were just we just did enough. Yeah, certainly. And then of course, now if we come to that that end of season bit where we went up to Carlisle. I don't know if you if you if you're up there, Nate, at Carlisle, but I, I I was up there and uh, we were you know again it, it was sort of a one we had to grind out. We 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 scored reasonably late on right Phillips from a corner with 14 minutes left to go and we're waiting for Sheffield Wednesday's result at Colchester as well but you know where those scenes when, when we were finally promoted on Paulie's mum's birthday as well uh, that, that'll always go down as one of my all-time favourite Charlton games that one yeah no it was um, a bit surreal really I mean because it was just nice going into um, going into the other games not sort of worrying about it I mean I think we've done Preston away all fancy dress and stuff <laughs> and you could just go up and enjoy yourself but I think throughout the season it was just but in a, in a weird way I didn't actually want the season to end because it was such a good season I think on the pitch and off the pitch I think a lot of people um, started going away a, people, a lot of people made new friends um, especially like the rise of Denmark lot and that and um, I think yeah in a, in, a, in a strange way I didn't actually want it to end because you know not every season's going to be like that and um, but yeah full of fond, fond memories back then and um yeah, I mean, what a way to do it, and it was just such a. I was, I was so happy for Pally. I mean, obviously before that, I mean, I'm, I'm still remember. I still remember him scoring against Coventry on his last <laughs> game, you know, and it's just mad. And it was just so when he came in, I'm, I was like, you know, do you really want to put a legend in charge? You know, because what happens if it don't go well? And and obviously the last two in Bose and Pally, it's not turned out too bad, is it? But, <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, but it was a it was a great year, great season, and. Um, I don't think it'll probably get top for probably for a while anyway. Yeah, and party time obviously wasn't it against Wickham and Hartley pulled the, the the home games there and the away game at Preston as you mentioned we went up in in fancy dress. But Ben, I mean that 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 Wickham game where we were confirmed as champions uh, and that game against Hartlepool where we received the the, the trophy. I mean those that you especially think about the the spells we'd been through at the time, which obviously. <laughs> Still, still pretty much going on now, really. But at the time, it felt, it felt like uh, we, we finally had, were on the way back. And we'll talk a bit more later on in in the show about how we weren't, unfortunately, in the end. But at that time, it really felt like everything was finally coming together again. Yeah, I think um, that Hartlepool game, especially having a sellout crowd to watch us be become champions, and we had that amazing. Um, performance from the Red Arrows bringing down did they bring down the, no yeah. they brought down the match ball, the match ball I, think, was, yeah. I was thinking the trophy then I thought that would be interesting <laughs> drop that but yeah and then Jan scored that quite amazing goal against Hartlepool um, not sure how he scored that but yeah as you said we, we were buzzing as Nate said we all had made uh, such great new friends and off the field it felt so good as on the field and uh, yeah and we had some quite great players in the team um, and yeah, we, we thought, here we go. This is uh, us finally getting back to to where we should be. Mm. 
Excellent stuff. So, all right, let's let's go back to Pally then. Let's bring Chris Powell uh, back into the show. His interview he did with Matt Wright uh, a number of years ago. Obviously, we talked about the rebuilding of the squad at the start of this piece. And during this uh, this little excerpt from the interview, uh, Pally was talking about how important it was that he got the rebuilding of the squad right. Charlton Line. It started during that
clubs, a fantastic stadium, good infrastructure. It used to be in the Premier League, now in League One. But want, want to get back there. They all bought into it. So that was, uh, that was sort of my, my USP with a lot of the players. Whenever I met them, and I met them, you know, during the course of the tail end of that season, and obviously throughout my summer, my summer, I grabbed a holiday, but I was on the phone all the time, and I remember meeting Tony on my holiday as well. Uh, and that's what we had to do. You know, straight away we knew that the two Sheffield clubs would have bigger budgets, and would have squads that were used to League One, uh, we knew Preston and Huddersfield would, would have a uh, budget bigger than us. So we, we, we knew we had to be a bit creative, rely on a few younger players like Chris, like, like Scott, uh, and Marriott with some good experience at the level and some clever, uh, astute buys that would also gain a value, like, like a winner's legacy. So we, we, that was the way we, we went about it, uh, and what system we would play and get players to fit into what we were going to do that season. Was, the, was there a conscious decision to bring in leaders? Yeah, well, there definitely was, because if you remember, Samido was captain and he was, again, more a leader by example. Uh, Jacko, I was just getting to know. But yeah, Michael Morris and I, I played alongside and always felt he had leadership qualities. Um, even from when he was, uh, played at Leicester when he joined from Cambridge. Uh, one player you didn't mention there, Matt Taylor was next, you know. Uh, Danny Hollands had been captain, but he, he was, uh, a bit quieter than what we thought. But, uh, there were players we felt could grow Chris Solly leader by example. Jan Kermigan, when he came in, leader by example. Brad was a leader by example with Dale. I thought had qualities that he could possibly be a captain. So our spine was good with potential leaders. And obviously, I had a decision to make with regards to Matt Taylor or Jack Owen. I think during the course of the pre-season, I'm sure some eagle-eyed fans will remember I, I made a different player captain for all the games during pre-season. So I had Jacko captain, I had Danny Holland as captain, I had Matt Taylor as captain. Um, I think I gave Chris Solly the armband for pre-season game. It's just so I didn't want pressure on anyone. I wanted to get to know them. And in the end, there were two outstanding candidates at that time in uh, Jacko and Matt Taylor. And, uh, I suppose the rest is history, uh, of Jacko in the end, because I just felt he would relate more to the fans and it would just take a bit of pressure away from Matt Taylor, who was a new player. And they were a bunch that almost managed themselves. Of course, they had to, uh, had to reel them in a few times, as you do, uh, and listen, that they, uh, they really bought into it. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I'd be amazed if I get Another group like that in my managerial life. Charlton Live. Let's talk about our favourite specific games from, from that season because, of course, um, th- there's so many uh, to choose from. And I'm sure if you've been going through and watching that, that replay of the, the season on the, on the club's website, 
then you'll be having your own personal ones. But I want, I want, I want to bring in the guys to find out what their ones are from that campaign. So Benji, I'll bring in you, bring you in first. If you if you could narrow it down to a, a game or two from that campaign, there's so many to pick from. What would you say was your favourite from that year? I'm gonna say um, just because there was a big build-up going into it. I think it was Monday night on Sky Sports. Uh, us beating Huddersfield 2 0 to end their unbeaten run. Uh, it, I think, I can't remember how many games they I think it was about 43 games, wasn't it? Yeah, it was quite a lot. They had Lee Clark as their manager. It was quite mouthy, wasn't he? And then they <laughs> had um, Jordan Rhodes up front, and I think he was banging form at the time. So, um, yeah, and then um, I think we were 2 0 up at half time, and I just remember Hogan their friend's goal just before half time. I think we shot his deflected, and he. It was, or he scored the rebound or something like that. Great finish. And I just remember um, Monday night, obviously, the Valley was rocking on an evening game. But also, I remember picking up the Evening Standard the next day, turned over back page, and FRM celebration was the whole of the back page. So I was like, oh, brilliant. Like, mm. we're finally getting some plaudits of what we're doing. And I think that went on to kind of think, do you know what, Charlton are are big this season I think they're going to go they're going to go places and it made people kind of like look out for us then and and as Nate said earlier that's when we kind of got confidence as fans and as the players confidence grew because obviously Huddersfield on this unbeaten run and then we just beaten them it kind of gave us that confidence and that all around us to think do you know what here we go we can do this now yeah it was it laid down a real marker didn't it I remember Jan Kermigan opening the score and I'm just looking through I mean I've got a website up here and I'm, I, this can't be right surely according to the, this according to the stats for that game uh, they had 10 corners and we had none <laughs> but I don't know if that's <laughs> if that's correct or not but you're right it laid down a real marker and obviously a lot had been made about Huddersfield's unbeaten run that wasn't an unbeaten run because they had lost in the playoff final the season before uh, I can't remember who they played against Peterborough wasn't it Old Trafford but um, a lot had been made about it and for us to go out there and, and to end it quite comfortably I know they had a bit of re- I remember they had a bit of a resurgence in the second half without being able to, to, to get one past Ben Hamer but it, it, it went to show that, that we really did have the, an, an opportunity now to, to finish at the top of that league Yeah as you said yeah I think there were some other big teams around I think that season I enjoyed the rivalry I think we had a good rivalry with the the two Sheffield clubs, uh, and then we kind of had one over on Huddersfield now, so it felt like we were really, the era was buzzing, but yeah, I think it just showed what um, kind of squad depth we had around, of just looking at the team sheet as well, we had Darrell Russell in there, I mean, you forgot he played, I know he scored one goal against Preston as well, but um, yeah, just looking through the team sheet, Ryan Phillips and Kermigan up front, Paul Hayes came on, um, Hogan Ephraim, I think you kind of, if you look back on that on that season, you'd forget about some players like Hogan FM. But I think that was the whole um, camaraderie of the squad that mm. Powell had that he could bring in different players um, if we had injuries, and they all played their part. And I remember hearing some of the interviews from the players that the, the whole, as I say, the whole camaraderie, the whole uh, banter between the players was so good. And I think that echoed in the performances that we saw. Mm, excellent stuff. Right, so let's bring in Terry then. Obviously, um, you've been to many games over the course of your uh, Charlton supporting career. But if you, if you could pick some favourites from that season, which one would you go for? 
Yeah, I mean, I mentioned it before about the Mill pre-season game, and that sticks in my head uh, purely because of the way we played, and, and that sort of gave me some confidence going into the season. And, uh, and the lads, um, I mean, Benji's already mentioned uh, a couple that, that stick in the head. This, the good thing about that season is, is it's very difficult to pick one because it's, it was such a good season, and you feel a bit guilty only picking one of them. So, you know, the, the ones that stick out, <clears throat> I guess, uh, for varying different reasons. Uh, I mean, we had the, the Bournemouth away, uh, that was a weekend, but not, uh, we can't mention what happened at the weekend, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the game itself, we were I think we were awful as I remember. We're playing, uh, we beaten Bournemouth beginning of the season, so maybe we went down there with a little bit of complacency. I don't know, but you know we were absolutely awful down there as I remember. But we still managed to nick it with a Jan Kermigan goal right at the end. You know, right at the death. We yeah, just bobbled over the line, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we stole it one nil, and we did steal it. And we just thought then that uh, you know, this uh, this this bodes well if we can come down there, play that awful, and still win. <clears throat> it's um, that that really sticks in the mind. As does the Preston away because we all went up there in fancy dress and all that sort of stuff. But I think the one game that, that really, um, I suppose, and, and I think uh, Nathan might say something similar, the one that, that really sticks in there purely because, uh, well, two actually, the Sheffield Wednesday away, because being in Sheffield Wednesday away is always fun um, because they don't take it very well. But I remember, you know, we were up against um, Jose Semedo, who was, of course, once of our parish. Um, and they couldn't handle us beating them either. We went one up fairly early, and then a half hour, Johnny Jackson, I think, scored it, um, pretty sure. And um, they, they they got angry, basically. They just, I mean, I think they had like, most of their team booked um, <laughs> because they just couldn't take us um, beating them. And even though it was only 1-0, they just couldn't couldn't uh, yeah. couldn't handle it. They and do you remember when they, they brought on Miguel Lehrer off the bench as well? And obviously he, he, had, he had a bit of a... Yeah. A haphazard. I mean, he was he was all right. I I I think I grew to like him by the end. But we did. We we knew he buckled. We knew he buckled under pressure. And I remember when he came on, the entire away end started singing uh, Miguel Lera. He ain't got a clue. And his first clearance, he absolutely sliced it out for a throw in (laughs) when he was trying to do a crossfield ball to the other side. So I remember I remember sticking it on him as well. It was uh, it was a great day out, but uh, I mean that one. But the, I think the other one that, that has to be mentioned, and I'm, I'm pretty sure Nathan might mention it as well, is the the FA Cup game <clears throat> away to Fulham. Yeah, yes, we got absolutely tonked on the Premier League side. Um, but firstly, you know the scoreline didn't the scoreline flattered them hugely. I thought we played much better than the four 0 that, that suggested otherwise. But the fact that we completely sold out that other end and never stopped singing from minute one right to the end. Um, it was the day of the uh, the boats up the Thames. It was just a cracking day out, and, and I think <clears throat> what it did, uh, even though we got beat, and even though uh, it, I think it was on the telly, and people, if they hadn't seen the game, would have thought, "Hello, yeah, little old child getting absolutely spanked." But I think what it did for me is it, it showed that we weren't little old Charlton anymore you know we were sort of um, back to where uh, you know we had a full house away at Fulham um, we outsung them there, there are times we played some lovely football and so it just it had a feel good factor about it you know mm. and, and just summed up the season for me that, that Chrissy Powell had brought Charlton back to, to where we wanted it to be yeah that was a great day even though, despite the result and as you say I remember I think we were in the the spoons in Greenwich for about 8 o'clock in the morning for breakfast and then we were still we were still out and about in, in Greenwich after well, late into the night, I remember, I remember that very well. That was a great it day. Was, it, was like, it was like we'd won it. It was bizarre. You, know, yeah. you met people going home and, and, they, and you were all happy and singing and laughing. Oh, where have you been? Oh, we've uh, just been to Crown Cottage. Oh, FA Cup. Oh, did you win? No, got spanked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, great memories. And Nathan then, so if you, if you had to pinpoint one from that day? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, it's like Tell was saying, there's loads of games really that you could have picked. Um, but I mean, yeah, going on the Fulham one, obviously the banter boat, which was, you know, we're still doing 
we was due to do to Brentford in a couple of weeks' time, but that'll be moved. Um, but for me, I think the one that stood out for me in terms of intent and maybe got a lot of the other teams in in the division sitting up a little bit and go, oh, hang about, is when we beat when we went to Bramall Lane, we beat them two 0 I think Jan and Brad have scored in the second half quite close together, and um, and I think we had. Uh, I mean that game there is. I don't know. Is that the game? That wasn't the game when we when Pally come on the pitch at the end or anything, was it? That's was that it? Bramall Lane, yeah. And he had the huddle with yeah, all of them at full yeah. time, yeah. And I f- and that's the one that, that really sticks out because I thought that was even though all year, I mean from the beginning, I thought we were doing something. You'd always have that element of doubt going, "Well, we are chalk. We never do it easy." Da 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 da. But that was the one game where I sat back and thought, you know what, we got a chance here. Yeah. And um, Jan scoring and, with his I mean, first touch was amazing as well. Exactly, and I think even if you look at Bramall Lane, don't, there was twenty odd thousand there, and then if you look at all the other sort of games, we had a few the twenty thousand. But to get twenty thousand in League One, that was a big game. The atmosphere was fierce, um, and they were expected to win. And just to do the double, I mean, I don't like Wednesday. Anyway. I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't mind Sheffield United, as you know. But um, but yeah, no, what what a game that was, and I just think that showed real intent, mm. and um, and so it proved. Yeah, and that... yeah the full and banner boat was absolute banner. I don't think I've ever been so drunk at a game <laughs> ever I don't think yeah I think I was <laughs> I ain't even lying yeah I think I, I was the game too much. literally and metaphorically no, in the there. same boat there <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that was uh, that was a great day now um, obviously I should add my own one into the mix um, and, and I think it was mentioned by someone earlier on but the, the away winner Oldham uh, on the 7th of April it was the day of the boat race funny enough actually I remember watching it in the pub in, I think they had it on in the pub when we were there but it was it was just one of those days we ground out a 1-0 win with 9 men uh, where, it, it, again, it was another one of those where you thought, we're definitely winning this league, you know, if we can do that. I think Danny Hollands was sent off sort of early on, um, well, half an hour in for for a, a lunge. I thought it was maybe slightly harsh. Trevor Kettle, of course, was the referee. Um, then then Oldham had their own their own chap sent off about five minutes before half-time. Um, then three or four minutes into the second half, this amazing run down the left-hand side from Royce Wiggins. He dug out across to the far post, but there's still plenty for Jan to do, but he headed it into the bottom corner, and you're thinking, right, let's just hang on, and then Scott Wagstaff got a second yellow card for falling over uh, when he tried to make a challenge that just out, I think, uh, must have been just outside the area, because it wasn't a penalty, um, and, and he got sent off, and then we were hanging on for the last 15 minutes, and I just remember Oldham just absolutely pummeling us you know sending long balls into into the into the penalty area but this was where another one of perhaps uh that season's unsung heroes in leon court was playing alongside michael morrison in defense and he won absolutely everything in the air uh, that day and we and we clung on to to win the game with nine men and uh yeah that was a real statement of intent and uh yeah i mean terry i bring uh, leon court was certainly one of those players who um perhaps sort of went a little bit under the radar that season, but he, he showed the, the sort of depth we had in that squad and the sort of reliability you could bring in from, from the wings for, for big games that season. Yeah, absolutely, and he wasn't alone. I mean, you're right. Then we had a, we had a squad of players, that, and, and uh, I think it was Benjamin before, we brought some players in like Danny and Gesson and Lee Cook and Daryl Russell and uh, was it Hogan Frame was the other one. He yeah, yeah. just, just, just seemed to pick up the odd gem as well. And, and, and again, I go back to what I said earlier, players with something to prove. Uh, and Leon Court was definitely one of those, I think. Um, and we just, had, um, we just had something about us. I remember 
um, he, he did an interview, and I don't think it was in the same one. Uh, and forgive me if I've if I've gone over what's already been said uh, by Chrissy Powell. But one of the first things he did when he came in is he saw the um, training ground and he saw the split in the training ground where everybody had all different tables. So there were little little groups, little pockets of players all dotted about, rather than everybody getting in together. So the first job he did was get rid of all the little tables and make one big one because uh, he wanted everybody to be part of the same collective so everybody to be talking to each other not just like little little pockets of Spaniards or little pockets of uh, English or little pockets of world you know what I mean so um, and I think that was the uh, characteristic he brought any club that came in had to had to mix in had to be part of the whole uh, ethos of the club and, mm. and Leon Colts just summed that up and you're right that game that game was immense that mm. Right, well, let's have a listen. We've uh, told you what our favourite games were. Let's now find out what Powley thought was the most important game uh, from that season. Charlton Live. Yeah, I mean, everyone talks about the Sheffields, and rightly so. I mean, that, that was basically Jacko's week. Sheffield Wednesday away, Sheffield United at home. I think that really put so much belief in the brains of everyone, players and fans alike. So I think that was crucial. I think even, you know, going away and winning at Hartlepool, uh, that was a three-game week. Those sort of weeks really propel you or can make you have a downward turn when you have three, three-game weeks. Mm. You know, getting nine points is utopia. Getting seven is good. Getting six, okay, sometimes you can say that. It's a difficult game that you've lost. But anything less than that, you, you tend to think, well, okay, that's not great. But to get nine, and going all that way was was massive for us. I think, you know, being Preston 5-2. Yeah, that was the game after Hartlepool. Yeah, you know, all of a sudden, we're scoring goals. Um, we're, we're showing people that we mean business. Uh, and remember, this is a new group now. And really, you know, most people say they have to, they need weeks, months to bed together and get to know one another. But they just clicked straight away. They, they, they got to understand what I've done. And they've done it. We kept it very simple. Um, and if we had any setbacks, we would quickly do our best to rectify them as a group. You know, those results, I think, will always give any, any, any team, you or old, belief in what they're doing. And uh, we just went on from there. And, you know, winning, sort of in the last minute away at Yeovil, uh, on Boxing Day, they're just, they're just big, big moments. And then, I think, whenever we had a setback, we tended to bounce back straight away. Uh, with either a draw or a win. So, after Stevenage, uh, you know, we got a positive result. I can't remember who it was. <laughs> but I remember, you know, we, we lost to, to, to Orion. Uh, we went down to 10 men, then got sent off early on. And we got a result two days later. Um, and I think a, a test, a real test for us was when we we lost to Colchester and Notts County. Yeah, the Notts County result, I mean, no one saw that coming at all. Uh, at all. That was, a, that was a bit of a test. And we drew up at Scunthorpe yep. the next game, um, which was important. Didn't need to, I didn't want three in a row. Two in a row, and they were both at home, which which was a disappointment. But uh, you know, the players rallied round one another and, and handled the pressure. We were top; we were there to be shot at. Uh, so we we got back and went on from there. But I think winning at 
fun for me. I know it was close then. We were close to sort of the, the results and what we wanted. But winning um, at Oldham with, if we go down to nine and they went down to ten, was, uh, I mean, that was just huge. That just showed me then that this group could actually do anything. They were committed. They, whatever was put in front of them, they were knocking it down. And they were knocking it down together. Whether it's 11, 10, or in that case, 9. That moment then just said to me on that, that drive home, you know, this group will stop at nothing. They, they want this trophy. They want this promotion. They want it on their CVs. Charlton Live. So there we go, Paddy talking about his, uh, his favourite game from that season. Now, before we go into the final excerpt, which is Paddy talking about some frustration as to what didn't happen next, he, the fact we didn't quite build upon it. I mean, let, let's talk about that ourselves, Ben. Obviously, we were in this situation. I think we'd seen Norwich City go from League One to the Premier League in two seasons uh, maybe, maybe just the year before. So we were suddenly thinking, oh, I wonder if we can do that. But this is when it all started to come apart at the seams with one of the previous ownerships, the Jimenez and Slater and, and cash regime. You know, they, they run out of cash, it turned out. Um, and we were unable to build upon it. And then we saw that that summer before we went into the championship, we were unable to make many signings. And I mean, now it, it just, again, you know, knowing what, would come after with Roland. It just—it's so frustrating now that we were unable to to build upon the momentum that we had at that time. Yeah, you've had a nail on the head there. It was you see a lot of teams um, that did? I think Leicester did it as well, didn't they? They uh, jumped, did two leagues in a row, and uh, were back in up in the big time. But um, yeah, it was just—it was gutting to see us being held back uh, again. We had players there with huge potential. Uh, Dale Stevens and I know Jan was coming towards uh, his later years of his career, but another person who had, uh, like, who went on to be one of the leading strikers in the championship. So yeah, it was it was going to see. We were we were waiting for some uh, signings just to add to the squad, the the um, squad, the great squad we had already, um, and it, it just didn't come. I remember um, we signed one of your favourite players in Simon Church, <laughs> um, but. Again, we, we were looking for um, just a little bit bits to add to the squad. And I know Pauly said that um, he knew towards the end of that title winning season um, that it, the, the funds weren't going to come to help us push on. Um, and again, we were lucky to survive in the end from, uh, from hearing mm. what actually happened behind the scenes. So, uh, yeah, just, just real frustration because um, it just held us back. And we see so mm. many times where these teams do push on and then make the next move and uh, who knows we, we could have been up in that promised land of premiership if we would have had the funding yeah Terry is it is that one of your major frustrations that we had we had this chance to push on and build upon that that feel good factor that Pally had brought back and then we were just I mean we, we had an alright season in the end the next year finishing ninth, although against all the odds but then it was the season after where we saw how this squad had stagnated a bit when, when we started to really struggle and obviously that in the end uh, ended up with uh, just a brush with, with with only just staying up under Roland. Funnily enough, when he came in, but it's it's such a shame that we never because you you do wonder where Pauli could have taken us as well with yeah. that he sort of at, at, at his home club almost. It's a huge unanswered question in recent times, isn't it? I mean, um, we saw what he did in League One by you know turning around a squad of about twenty odd players. Um, 
afresh and, and doing what we did there. Um, we finished ninth the following season and, and that weren't that far away from the playoffs, really. I mean, I can't remember exactly how many points it was, but it was, I mean, it was half a dozen rings, but I don't know if that's true. But, you know, we weren't that far away and, and you just think if he was able to, uh, to add to it or do in the championship in the similar way that he did in, uh, in League One, um, not quite so many players would have been necessary, but just a few. Where we could have gone from now, as you say, so many other sides have gone back to back, and you just get the feeling it was distinctly possible. You know, mm. when, you know, it's not—it's momentum, isn't it? A lot of people talk about it, and it's a—it's an overworked and overused phrase generally. But we had it. You know, we had momentum. We had the feel-good factor of getting promoted as champions. Not comfortably, it's probably overstretching it, but we were—we were—we were good for it and worthy of it and then we go into the following season and everybody knows it's going to be tough of course it is but to get that close with very little um, financial um, assistance for Chris Powell you just get the feeling that uh, it could have been so much better yeah and Nathan I guess it, it makes you wonder what to what extent that possibly stalled Chris Powell's managerial career as well because of course we ended up getting let go by Roland when a lot of fans felt he shouldn't and I, I myself in, were included in that um, went to Huddersfield where again he sort of steadied the ship and then and then they, they let him go and um, you know South End he went into a South End club that the side that's clearly on, on a downward spiral as, as a club itself has had all sorts of problems since then um, but be, you know, it, it, you'd have to say the fact he wasn't able to build upon that that success he had at Charlton probably, probably put the muckers a bit on his fledgling managerial career because he'd had such a good start to it but he was never able to build upon that momentum or then go into a club where there was momentum to build upon yeah no I, I, I'm with you I felt, felt sorry for Chris he obviously when he left I mean to, like Terry said to come up and finish ninth you know I think we, we beat Barnsley 6-0 that year and everyone was pulling together and obviously memories of obviously a beaker was my favourite football chant in the world I love that song um, just great memories and then I think the problem with Pauli is when he left I mean, for someone to take a punt on him, he's, he's only second, what, his second full year maybe in it. And um, maybe some chairman thought maybe it was a bit of a, not a fluke, but, you know, like, he's only had one job, do we want to give him this? And, and he ended up getting jobs, like you say, at Huddersfield, and, that, and it didn't really work out for him. But, yeah, I mean, it's it, you can always sit there and go, oh, you know, what, what it could have been. Um, but I mean, he's working now. He's, he, I, I assume he's still with Pards and he down in uh, over in Holland. But um, yeah, that's no, a shame. It is a big shame. But um, especially the season after, where, like you said earlier, we stagnated and we just needed that that fresh blood sort of thing. Really, just that sprinkling of additions to to try and push us on. And uh, unfortunately, it wasn't. But um, nevertheless, mm. you know, there's so many memories that Pauli gave us. Was, I'll never forget. Them. Mm. Right. Um, we're going to hear the clip of Pauli. Uh, talking about his regrets as to what di uh, didn't happen next at the Valley. But I think I'm going to sign off uh, with you guys now. Look, it's been an absolute pleasure to have uh, you on the phone for this week's Charlton Live, uh, Ben, Nathan, Terry, and uh, hopefully I'll speak to you guys again soon. Thanks, 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 guys. Cheers, mate. Have nice weather tomorrow. Make sure you go out and listen to this iPod. I iPod this podcast. It's lovely, jubbly. <laughs> I'm going to go and talk to some plants now. It seems to be the thing to do. <laughs> Jolton Line. You know, I look at Bournemouth, I look at Eddie Howe, and I look at the journey he's had with them, and I always think that could have been us and Charlton. I always do, because he was given a chance at a club that he was affiliated with, he was manager of a real tough period initially, got through it, 
just like, you know, I did initially. And then he was allowed to build and grow, which all managers want. And if you give him that time, you get that back in, like we did in that first full season, then all of a sudden you, you're, you're on that journey, you're on that road that you want to be on. Then you need to add that back into style. And that's what I felt was the trick we missed. Was we had that first season in the championship and don't get me wrong, at times when we lost to Middlesbrough and you know, things weren't looking great for us and then the, the, the infamous Cardiff game, you know, we started to, we only lost five games on the road that year. Because people don't remember that. <laughs> five games in the championship on the road was brilliant. Of course we got some results that uh, went for us. I remember being sort of leads and Wolves last minute and John Abika doing, you know, what he did, but, you know, we got some really good results, you know, but the writing was sort of on the wall then. You know, I was told I was going to spend millions and all that. Obviously, it was, it was a load of, load of nonsense. Uh, you know, I, I signed Dorian the bit on a free. You know, Salim Kirkar after a trial. You know, this was us trying to build. You know, and I just look back on the side that have done that. Like Southampton when they went up, they had that momentum. Like Bournemouth when they went up, and when they went up the season after, and they consolidated and went up. I wanted us to do the same. And, uh, and we didn't, and sadly, progressively, it got worse. And, uh, you know, I do look back with a touch of sadness, really, because everything was with us. The fans were coming back. They were back in their numbers, and you know the players were were happy, but the the, the change started to, to happen. Then you know Jackson, Kerman, Gap were all promised new deals. We went up and stayed up. They did that, and then just felt well, what's happened? All of a sudden, it kept happening. You know these key players were all of a sudden going to be out of contract, and of course the rest is history. So. You know, you, you, you have to look back with fondness on that year, uh, which I, which I always do. It's forever with me now, which is, which is brilliant. Um, I'd love to do it again, you know, uh, with a side, uh, and who knows where, uh, where that may, may happen again. And, you know, that's something that, uh, you know, I look back with complete fondness. You know, fans will forever talk about that season because of all the great moments in that season. When you look back, there's so many massive moments in games, in individual performances, team performances, individual goals. You know, yeah, scoring that goal at home to home at the end of the season. I mean, you couldn't have written it. You just couldn't have written that sort of goal right at the end of the season. Uh, but they all, every single one of them, contributed. Every single one. You know, there's not one player throughout that squad that season that didn't contribute. Every single one of them did. And that will be with me for, well. So I'll leave this, uh, I'll leave this, this place. <laughs> I don't know how to put that. Maybe don't put it like that. <laughs> Charlton Lie. So there we go. That's the end of this week's Charlton Lie podcast. Hope you've enjoyed it. Great to hear from Chris Powell, of course, as we took a stroll down memory lane. Thank you to Nathan, to Terry, and to Benji for joining me on this week's pod. I've been Louis Mendez, and I look forward to speaking to you again next weekend. Have a good one. Charlton Charlton Lie. Lie.
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.